How you doing today? Good, good. Good to see y'all. Well, listen, it comes to Mary's, guess what? It always starts out as a No, uh, that's, no. <laughs> but I'm glad my wife said that. Um, you know, it starts off as a dream. You ever notice that? It's a dream. Everybody goes into it. Some of you now may be dreaming toward that day. Some of you may be in a dream or some of you may be in some other things. But it, but it, but it starts as this thing called a dream. And I'll be standing up here sometimes or in other venues where I'm doing a wedding and we always come to this time where oftentimes we'll do a thing called a unity candle. And it symbolizes, it pictures two people coming together. The scripture says, and the two shall become one flesh. So we come to the unity candle and the two beautiful bride and handsome groom, they take their candles and they ceremoniously bring them together And they light this one candle. And then they extinguish their own to symbolize this uniting together, this coming together. They walk into this thing with incredible dreams, hopes, aspirations, beliefs that this is going to be beautiful and blissful for the rest of their lives. What started out as the ideal quickly turns in to an ordeal, and some people are now looking for a new deal. But I don't think God ever intended for it to be that way. But, but excuse me for a minute, we have a wedding this morning that we want to be a part of. Would you pay attention to this, please? Please rise. may be seated. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the presence of God and these witnesses to join this man and woman together in holy matrimony. Marriage is ordained of God, and only by his sustaining power does it endure. Mumbo-jumbo, mumbo-jumbo, and on and on, etc., 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 and on and on, which brings us to the vows. William, repeat after me. I, William. I, William. Take this woman. Expect this woman. To be my lawfully wedded wife. To coddle me all my life. To have and to hold from this day forward. To serve and enthrone me from this day forward. For better, for worse. I'll make sure I'm first. For richer, for poorer. Or until we need a lawyer. In sickness and in health. My real love is wealth. Forsaking all others. Except maybe mother. To cling only to her. If she'll address me as sir. For as long as both shall live. For as long as she continues to give. Or the Lord doth come. This better be fun. Now, we don't usually say those kinds of vows at a wedding, do we? But if you pick up the nuance here, uh, you know, we don't even think that. But it's amazing how in the context of overtime in marriage... Those are some of the very thoughts and very attitudes that come out. And see, with Bill talking like that and thinking that and believing, oh, not stated, but over time lives that out. You know what? He'll do things that will hurt and that will begin to bruise her fragile heart. 
Some will be happen knowingly, some will happen unknowingly. And what's really sad is he'll expect her to fulfill things that she never, that nobody else in her life has ever expected her to fulfill before. And this will cause some significant strain on their relationship. Well, it's easy to judge Bill, isn't isn't it? Well, let's maybe pick up on what Sally's thinking. Sally, repeat after me. I, Sally. I, Sally. Will take this man. Expect this man. To be my lawfully wedded husband. To be my awfully indebted husband. To have and to hold from this day forward. To shape and to mold from this day forward. For better, for worse. I'm better, he's worse. (laughs) For richer, for poorer. That he follow my orders. In sickness and in health. My concern is myself. Forsaking all others. I can't stand his mother. To cling only to him. To control only him. For as long as you both shall live. For as long as he continues to give. Or until the Lord doth come. I hope this isn't dumb. Sally's not much better, is she? See, she wants to be a good wife. But she brings her own baggage, her own luggage into this relationship. And she desperately needs to be valued and nurtured and known that she's loved. But the expectations that she's going to place on Bill, unfortunately, he won't always be able to fulfill. And there will come times when he will hurt her fragile heart. And she'll come come to some forks in the road in this relationship where she's going to have to decide, is she going to try and control him or allow God to work in him? She can allow him to grow and mature and to lovingly come beside him and encourage him. But both will learn very quickly in this relationship of marriage that you cannot expect perfect things from imperfect people. Well, let's get back and and allow this marriage to, this wedding to be finished up. Well, let's move along. We don't want to keep the honeymoon waiting. And so, by the power vested in me, by the state of California and the word of God, and because of your vows of faithlessness, faithfulness, I now pronounce you man and wife. And good luck with that. We've all been there, haven't we? Come to a critical marriage, critical time of marriage, you've got to know the difference between a dream and a wish. See, a wish is simply a feeling that uh, is a temporary aspiration or desire. It's like being in love with love. You, you just kind of hope and you wish that this temporal thing will last, that it's really a... See, the, deep, the problem with a, a wish is that it's temporal and it's negotiable and it's just kind of out there. But you see, if we really understand dream, God talks a lot about dreams in the Bible. And it's a God-given assignment that we're called to steward and we're called to grow with it and to develop through faithfulness and obedience. We see so many, so many people that had dreams in the Bible and, and God led them through them. And I believe God gives us a dream. He deposits these things in our life for our marriage. But the way to make it work, the way to establish it and for, for us to see it last only happens really through faithfulness and obedience. It takes effort. It will be challenged. Anything that God deposits and gives us in our lives will not only be challenged, but at some point will be tested. And we need to hear this, loved ones. We will be held accountable for how we steward this precious gift called marriage. See, all too often the marital dream becomes submerged and overshadowed by, well, some of the luggage that we bring into it. And oftentimes it's this luggage, as we saw with this couple, what does it do? It quickly separates, it builds a chasm. And if these things aren't taken care of over time, the, the chasm really becomes much greater and becomes more difficult to manage. See, without the healing grace of Jesus Christ, it only gets worse. 
I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and it's in your notes there. But Hebrews chapter 12, it's not talking about marriage. It's talking about the marathon of the Christian life. And Paul is writing, we believe it's Paul who's writing to the, to the Hebrew people, and he says, therefore, verse chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all of the saints that have gone before us, let us throw off everything that hinders us from the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who by the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. There are things that we have to endure. He says, in your life, in your Christian life, there is going to be things that you have to face and you've got to deal with. And see, even in marriage, it's really the same way. A lot of us enter into it and we kind of treat it like a sprint. Oh yeah, woo, the honeymoon, we can't wait for that. But then after we get back, then real life begins to happen. And we think all this bliss and beauty, and, and so many go into this relationship thinking love will cover all. <laughs> and, and then we find out the reality that it takes more than a wish or a feeling of love. But it really takes a dream, a God-given dream that we want to learn to steward. Well, if you go down later in chapter Hebrews chapter 12 there, look at verse 12 and 15. <clears throat> It says, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It's a powerful descriptor of how we enter into life. As we go through our Christian life, not only in our Christian life do we have this brokenness, do we have these areas of our lives that need to be touched and healed, but it's so true we carry all of that into our, into our marriages. And he goes on to say, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. The favor of God in your life, and I'm going to say in your marriage, don't let any root of bitterness spring up that causes trouble and that by it many are defiled. See, Hebrews 12, it talks about our race in the Christian life. It talks about how we get disciplined by God and through our life we can get hurt and maimed. And he says, but pursue peace with all. And then allow God to bring healing to you. I love what psychologist Archibald Hart said. Marriage is the union of two imperfect people in an impossible relationship. Humanly speaking, the differences can be so great that it is impossible to work unless God is working it out with you. Did you catch that? I see. I, listen, I want to be really careful here because I know that a number of people have gone through divorce here. And I'm not here to beat up and to make you feel bad and guilty, but I do want to challenge us. God hates divorce. And our culture has made it so easy. No fault divorce, you know. I mean, it's nobody's fault. Are you kidding me? No fault? Two people make this commitment, have this wish or this dream, no fault? It's time that we really understand that the way our culture looks at this, we can't look at it that way. And we've got to learn on the front end to front load this thing to protect it and to prepare us for where we're going to go. And one of the first things that we deal with are the unmet expectations that we have. Hollywood and life sets us up for this, but it's all an illusion as we move from dating and courtship to an extravagant wedding where a bride's taken three days to get ready. And then we have the honeymoon. After the honeymoon, we kind of come back and, you know, you go out and you spend a week in Hawaii or Alcapulco or wherever you go or the beach. And everything is bliss. You can stay up as late as you want, make as much love as you want, and no issues, no problems. Just have fun. And then you come back and all of a sudden real life just kind of hits you. And then the expectations. Pretty soon... The wife is waking up to her husband and spending the morning with him on his day off. And what does he do? And he's got two-day growth stubble and he's got bad breath. He sees her and she's no longer wearing makeup and her hair is all over the place. And you begin to go, my gosh, I thought I married a prince. And he's a frog. You know, he went from a frog to a, a prince to a frog. I thought it was the other way around. And that princess goes to a, well, what? I don't know how to say it. But she went to something. A crackpot. 
had to be here last week. Um, and we have these expectations. And whenever, if you notice that whenever you have expectations, uh, they're usually not going to get met to the degree that you want them to. For instance, there was this gal and this guy, after they'd been married for 20 years, they finally went to marriage counseling. They sat with this guy, this marriage therapist counselor, and he says, well, what's the problem? And the wife, she just went into this passionate, painful tirade, listing every problem that they had experienced for the last 20 years. She went on and on. I've been neglected. There's a lack of intimacy, emptiness, loneliness. And she just went on and on and just, I'm, he treats me, he doesn't value me. I feel like I'm unlovable. And she just went through this whole list. Finally, after allowing her to go on for way too long, therapist got up, walked around the desk, said, would you please stand up, man? He embraced her. And then he passionately kissed her. And the husband watched. And as he's watching, he's kind of like, well, you're kidding me. And the woman kind of, after he's done, backs up and is kind of dazed and confused and sits down. The therapist turns to the husband and he says, this is what your wife needs at least three times a week. Can you do this? And he thought for a minute and replied, well, yeah, I can drop her off on Mondays and Wednesdays. <laughs> but, but, I, but I got to golf on Fridays. I, we... We have, some, we have some serious expectations on her part, and they continue to grow because they're, they're not met. And then you got another spouse. The guy just doesn't get it. We've got to deal with unmet expectations. And you really start at the front end. Second, second thing is character flaws. Don't we all have chinks in the armor, sinful patterns that we need to grow out of that come from our past hurts, habits, and hang-ups throughout our life? For some of us, it can be anger, stubbornness, selfishness, a straying heart, unfaithful tendencies, lying, passivity. Listen, you fill in the blank. It's like in the marriage ceremony that you saw. See, you don't always see them. Oh, but they're right there. And I will say this to some. Some of you saw the tendencies going in, but you said, oh, love will cover it. And then you're going, why didn't I see that? Because most marriages that I see, not all, but a lot of marriages that I see, if you go in with a B, two people that if they were to grade you, they say, yeah, my, my, my fiance is going to be, they're a B right now. It's very possible that unless they're a growth-oriented person that wants to grow personally and wants to grow in Christ and grow in the marriage, they will quickly become a C. We have that natural tendency. We take the way of least resistance. And that's why marriages go south, because people aren't committed to growing forward and to grow as a person and to grow as a spiritual person and to grow as a partner. So these flaws, this baggage, these defects, they begin to not only get bigger, but they begin to separate us more. And we've got to deal with them, loved ones. And the second and third thing is unresolved issues. There's things that each person brings into the marriage. Childhood pain. Some of us have experienced the, the despair of abuse. A lot of us have had poor role models from our parents' marriage. See, people get into marriage and they think it's, <laughs> it's the other person. They're the problem. And sometimes they are. But this is what I've learned. It's always two people. It's a combination of past issues and expectations that converge oftentimes in marriages to cause the perfect storm. That's why it's so critical that you make peace with your past. You grow from your past. You don't focus on it, but you grow from it. See, I, when I'm premarital counseling, I always ask a, a lot of questions about their relationship with their parents. Give me your history. Did they divorce? What were they like? Was there alcoholism? In our culture, was there drug addiction? See, you don't have to be chained to the issues of your past, but they will imprint you. And this is not always 100% true, but it's pretty close. If a person has never wrestled with their upbringing and how it impacts their adult relationship, there's incredible potential for issues to come forth. I mean, for instance, your father. 
I believe the Father has incredible bearing on your life and relationships. When you grew up, did you trust him? Was he there for you? I don't mean there 24-7, but you just knew he'd be there. Because there's a lot of great dads that have to travel and be gone. You can be there almost 24-7 and still not be a good father. But did you know that he was there for you? Was he a strong, disciplined leader in terms of disciplining your family? Or was he weak and passive and just kind of left everything to your mother? That will imprint you. Maybe your mother, was she overbearing? Was she demanding and always never could find anything right? It was always what wasn't right. Or maybe you had a doting mother who had absolutely no strength. And she was just this kind of weak woman. See, all these we drag into marriage in a time. They get played out on the marital stage. And we have to understand them. Because, see, so often we get into this relationship and we think, I'm normal. They're the one that's not. No, normal is only seen through our own grit and how we see it. I come to this realization, and I've told you this a number of times now throughout this series. There came a point where I had to sit with Trina because I realized I was pretty Abby normal. You know what I mean? I, I just my wiring here because of my, the imprinting of my growing up years just wasn't right. And I had to literally sit down and say, honey, tell me, what do I need to change? Because I, I, I know God's working in me and changed me in some areas, but I got to hear it from you too. There has to be that kind of sense. Even in hiring for new staff positions now, and when I do premarital counseling, I am looking for self-aware individuals who are coming to grips with their woundedness from being marred by sin and stuff from their family of origin. If I talk to people and they say they come from a perfect family, everything is good, I go, I don't know if this person has a real grip on reality. Because I don't care how good your family is, there's still stuff that was probably out of place. I'm not one of these guys, well, I'll do a roto-rooter job here. But if I really find out that there's alcoholism and there was divorce, I know there's stuff that they're going to have to deal with as an adult. See, people on a journey toward health, personal health and marital health, spiritual health, any kind of personal health will usually answer yes to the following questions. And these are ones that I ask in marriage, hiring people. Will you admit that you have baggage from your past? If you can't say yes to that, you're probably not a very healthy person. Sorry. (laughs) It's true. Listen, even if you had a perfect family, can I tell you something? Every one of us is marred by sin. Second question, not only will you, will you admit that you have baggage from your past, but will you do honest work on it so it doesn't distort your relationships around you? Let's face it, marriage is ultimately about a relationship. And the reason they usually don't work is because one or both throw in the towel and say, forget it. I'm not going to work on this anymore. Or they'll start pointing the finger and say, they're not doing what they need to do, therefore I'm not. And boom, breakdown starts. See, but where there's brokenness, loved ones, this is what you need to hear. Where there's brokenness, as we read out of Hebrews 12, God's heart is always to come in to restore. But we have to recognize the faults, the issues and the flaws that surface and got to deal with them or in time, They will become the deal breakers in the marriage. And I want to just lovingly say this. You may say, Pastor, I got a great marriage. It's been good for the last two weeks. (laughs) This stuff can crop up at any time. And I'll just say this, and and it's a pretty blanket statement, but you have to, if you want to have a good marriage, you've got to be committed to being a good, growing person, personally and in Christ. Because at the time that you begin to let those things go, you're, 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 you're asking for trouble. So the first thing we've got to do is you've got to prepare in advance. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says this, It takes wisdom to have a good family. It takes understanding to make it strong. It takes knowledge to fill a home with rare and beautiful treasures. Ideally, guess what? We want our marriages to be a masterpiece. Uh, but they're not always that way. 
But the ones that do well, most often, you'll see both partners truly and totally committed to making it work, and they're going to work together to build it. And they're committed to saying, we are not going to give up or give in to the issues that come in this marriage. And you know issues come in every marriage. And if anybody ever tells you otherwise, that's not true. And and I'm going to talk a little bit about this next week, but let me just give you a quick here out of 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, "Don't, don't be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Lawlessness or fellowship does light have with darkness? You know I am committed to people who are far from God and want to see them come to God. But I am not committed to missionary dating. Because I see, and I've told you this and I will say it, it's either hell or heaven on earth when it comes to marriage. And when you don't have the same value system coming into it, It makes it tough. I cannot tell you how many spouses I see over the years that have come to church alone and single, but they're married. And I can't tell you how many finally quit coming to church because they're embarrassed or they just, not embarrassed, they feel uncomfortable because they got to come as a single because their spouse won't come. It's because they made a decision years ago, months ago, to say, I'm going to roll the dice on this thing. I think I can change them. Now, you can give me a few people that have done it, and, you know, I can give you a few in this church where it worked. But I can give you too many where hearts are broken. Spiritual lives aren't lived out to the fullest because they said, you know what, I think I can do this. I think I can roll the dice on this. I'm a pretty strong person. I can either live through it, make it happen, or deal with it after the fact. And that's where so many married couples get in trouble. Listen, I love people. I love to make people happy the best I can. But this is an area where I've, I've really ticked off a lot of people at Creekside and they've ended up leaving. Oh, pastor, you got to meet him. He is a doll. Does he know Christ? Well, no, but he will after he gets married to me. I'm sorry, does he know Christ now? No, pastor, but if you meet him, you'll love him. I say, you know something? I know I will. I love everybody. There's nobody that I really meet and go, wow, what a jerk. You know, I just, I'm not that kind of guy. So meet him, pastor. And I tell him, no, I don't want to meet him. Because then if I meet him, I will like him. And then he just puts that much more pressure on my decision. I want to base it on principle. No, 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 no. Well, okay, pastor, we'll go somewhere else. Okay. It's your call. Some of them have worked. Many of them haven't. And then guess who gets to deal with the aftermath? Well, the person that makes the decision for years, but then they want the pastor and the counselors and all that to help them work through it. It's kind of like the bride who, she was having a hard time just kind of remembering everything about the wedding and because she was just so excited about it. Finally, the pastor said, listen, I'm going to give you three things to remember for the wedding. Walk down the aisle, stand before the altar, and then we're going to sing a hymn. And she goes, oh, that's still a lot. So finally she goes, ah, I'll just, I'll just come up with just three quick words. So the words were, aisle, altar, hymn. Aisle, <laughs> altar, hymn. Yeah, you know where I'm going, don't you? And, and sometimes we, we get that kind of cadence in our mind, and we think, aisle, altar, hymn, or or them. And friends, you cannot go into a marriage that way. See, most Christ followers would say, Jesus is the most important relationship in my life. This is the crucible. This is the test with the second most important relationship. Who will you marry? But it's amazing how that can get inverted and reversed because people get desperate. I know a lot more unhappy married people than I do truly unhappy single people. And as a single person, you're probably sitting here, oh yeah, uh uh-huh, sure, right. Oh no, come sit me with counseling. If you want a wake-up call, come sit with me in counseling. It's a reality. And it won't matter how much time or money or energy or resources you put into it. If you don't get the foundation right, the building will always be shifting. Shifting. 
and the cracks will eventually come, and the fault line will eventually cause that thing to crumble because you'll never be working from the same set of blueprints. And the next thing is listen to the whispers of the Spirit. If you want to build a strong marriage, listen to the whispers of the Spirit. See, we want everything smooth and trouble-free, don't we? I mean, honestly, I do. But I'm old enough now to realize that's just not going to happen. See, we, 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 can, we can believe that if there are no problems with the kids and the spouse and the job, then everything is fine. And what do we call that? A balanced life. <laughs> but who has one? I don't think many of us really do. That's not how life is. It's not how it works. It's not static. You will have issues. And the key to growing in your relationship and your marriage is learning how to work through the issues and become a healthier person. That's how we grow. See, the problem is, is what most of us do, many of us do, what I've always done is I, I react to the problems instead of responding to them. Or worse, you don't even acknowledge that they're there and you just kind of bury your head and simply hope they'll go away. They never do, do they? They just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So to have balance, things are always going to be changing. Do you remember the teeter-totter in school when you were growing up? You try to balance, you know, you'd, you'd say, okay, let's teeter-totter, and then you get tired of that, and you go, okay, let's see if we can balance. Well, you got this thing, you had this bar in the middle, but it's really a picture of a, it's, it's a fulcrum. And see, you, what you want to do is you're on that fulcrum, you want to get balance. And if someone goes, oh, you, you, you get off balance. Now, what you need to see in life is that life is all about, if you want to keep balance, is to understand the fulcrum points of your life. See, this is what I believe, is God never promised us a, a, a problem-free life. A rose key, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden, did he? No, he promised us wisdom and understanding of how to grow through these difficult times. And I believe that God uses the balance and imbalance in our life to do that. Study anybody in the Bible. And you'll see it was always the problems that made them or broke them. That caused them to grow and to move forward. So in your marriage relationship, you got this fulcrum. And when something begins to teeter and seemingly get out of balance, guess what happens? That's probably God's finger putting a little bit of pressure in an area to get your attention. And to say, I want you to move that area in your life closer to me. What, what, what do you mean? Well, Trina and I, a number of years ago, see, if, you, if, you, if you react to it instead of responding, or if you choose to ignore it altogether, guess what? Ultimately, the stick or your life will totally topple over. The most major blip that Trina and I had in our marriage came in my second year here at this church. Because of some financial stresses on this place, I decided to go back to work full time. And I, I had a job opportunity to take my same position back in Manteca in teaching and coaching. So literally, I'd leave here at 5 in the morning and I wouldn't get home until 8 because I coached football and then I coached basketball and then I coached track through that school year. And while doing that, I'd come home on Saturday and I'd do a little bit of counseling or get ready for Sunday. Then on Sunday, I'd do Sunday, and then I would grade papers, do grades, and do all that lesson plans and get ready for my week at school. So I did that for about nine months. And during that time, the fulcrum of my marriage got way out of line. There was absolutely no balance. And there came a time... Where, where Trina was pretty emotional. And it really wasn't until a few months later that, that I read her journal one day. And I, and I just happened to pick it up. I wasn't snooping, but I just read it. And she told me, how, and in, in, it, in her words, not her words, but the bottom line was she was writing how miserable her life was because she didn't have a husband who was there physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. Now, I had, it, I, had, I, had I, I, I could do something. I got three things that I talked about we, I could do. I could react 
and say, do you know what I'm doing? Do you know how much I'm blah, blah, blah? Or I could ignore it and just go, well, that's life. We'll get over it. Or I could respond. And I had to respond because that issue brought up another big issue. And we had to work through it. Now listen, the point was, there was the convergence of the perfect storm taking place. And God used that. That thing could have toppled and we could have lost our marriage because there were two big things that took place. But God used that fulcrum to get us back into balance and to point me back to him to make sure that I'm taking care of my wife and my family. And so the very thing that you think, oh, let's give it up, let's break it off, that's enough, I'm tired of this, is probably the very thing that God is using to get your attention to say, I want to bring some balance back to this life. And the only way you will begin to hear that is through the whispers of God's Spirit. Because otherwise, you'll just get ticked off and want to call it quits. This is what Isaiah 30, 19, and 20 says. He will be gracious if you ask for help. But you've got to ask. He will surely respond to the sound of your cries. Though the Lord gave you adversity for food and suffering for drink, he will still be there with you to teach you. You will see your teacher with your own eyes. You will, your own ears will hear him. You'll hear the voice of the Lord right behind you, and the voice will say, this is the way that you should go whether to the right or to the left. And that's exactly what I had to make a decision. Am I going to deal with this issue, with the pain that it caused and some of the consequences that come out of that pain? Or will I just say, stiff this, man. I don't want to be a part of this. This is is too much. And it literally took a number of years to work through a couple of the issues. So you need to be tuned to God's spirit, to the place where you can find and maintain your balance. Because God will speak to you in the midst of the difficulty. And if you hear his voice and you respond to his voice, it'll make all the difference in the world in your marriage. But you've got to have that commitment up front. Next thing you need to do is you've got to manage your marriage. I want you to watch this video because uh, this is kind of a spoof and they're going to give you six keys, but this is really six keys on what not to do. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve, and I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something I think we're all excited about, and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley? Oh, oh. That, that's Sorry. our faux pas. Sorry, We've got some killer marriage ships we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences for her. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for good financial stewardship. <laughs> yeah, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Make sense. it is, it is, it is, it is, it is. Does not make sense? It is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak, and then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip for you and your buddies. (laughs) Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents. 
but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. <laughs> putting your spouse in the timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh... Those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. I guess she didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. <laughs> hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and... Send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. It's kind of like weird. <laughs> well, that's not what not to do. But if you want to manage your marriage, well, you got to know what not to do. But it's important that you know what you do. You got to maintain your marriage. I, I used to have this great golf club, a driver that I just loved. It was old, it was beat up, but it worked. And then my youngest son, Jamie, took it to the driving range one day and just broke the head right off. But I had this thing for years, and it took, I took it in, and by the time I got it reshafted, it cost me more, shafted and regripped, it cost me more than what it would cost to just get a new driver. You don't want to go there, dear. <laughs> Can I just give you a couple of words? Manicure, pedicure, <laughs> hair coloring. And, and that's all beyond her allowance. So there. <laughs> Cha-ching. But, okay. Lest I make myself sound good, I, I am guilty of that cha-ching. I, I don't do the cha-ching. But I do. How much? Ah. But I always give in. Where was I, dear? <laughs> oh, yeah. My golf club. Cha-ching. I, uh, I, I spent the money on it because you know what? I loved it and I wanted to maintain it and I wanted to keep it because it was very, very valuable to me and my golf game. See, our marriages need to be managed and maintained as well. They're high maintenance. They get pieces that begin to kind of fall apart, chip off, break down. But it's like a plant. If you want to keep it growing and nourished, you'll have to maintain it. See, anything living takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. And when you stop maintaining it, putting maintenance in it, guess what? Pretty soon, well, it becomes like a piece of plastic. And it dies. And a lot of times, that's what we do with our marriages. We forget to maintain them. See, guys, and I got to tell you, I really believe it starts with us. Trina will tell you, and she has said this to me, honey, our home is best when I act like a thermostat. See, a, a thermometer is dependent upon outside circumstances, and it's controlled, and it registers the prevailing temperature based on the things around it. So it's really not in control. But Trina says, you know, honey, I love it when you are the thermostat of our home. And she said this for years because it's, it's independent of outside circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on here, there with the kids, with the church, with my personal life. It is unaffected because when I come into the home, then I get to be the one that controls the environment and what takes place in our home. And she has said that over the years. Honey, you do that. You either bring joy and laughter or you bring kind of a somber, you know, oh, boy, this is tough. 
And then that's what we've got to bring. Remember what Jesus said. We, we, he, we love him because he first loved us. Our wives love us because they are the responder to the love that we bring them. We set the tone. Second Thessalonians 1.3 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your faith is flourishing. Your love is for one another is growing. See, where our faith is growing, men, and flourishing, guess what's going to happen as well? Well, there's going to be love that is growing around us. Most marriage counselors say that the way wives receive their greatest value is from their husbands. They simply begin to be the reflectors of what is happening in our lives. That's why my words, my actions, my thoughts, everything begins to be a reflector for how Trina feels and is valued in our home and in everything that I do. And guys, we've got to take the responsibility for that. We establish the climate. So the next thing is stay committed. See, Psalm 105, verse 8 says this, God always stands by his covenant, the commitment that he made to a thousand generations. See, God is committed to us forever. Someone emailed me this week and said, does, does God really love everybody? Are you kidding me? Of course he does. Why would he die for us? Why would he give himself to us? He is faithful. He died for us, and his promises are good for thousands of... I mean, they're good until the end of time. And then they are still good into eternity. See, his love for us isn't based on how we respond and how we live. Oh, hmm. If that's true, then as a man and as a spouse, I need to make sure that I'm living out that with my spouse. It isn't based on performance, but it's based on the commitment that we made. See, we cannot dictate to the other person what they will do, but we can dictate what our hearts will do. Norman Vincent Peale said this, throw your heart over the fence and the rest will follow. But so often, too often, we want to hold on and protect ourselves and never truly invest and make the commitment to follow and stay through the tough times. Friends, stay committed. And it can only happen in the dailiness of life. And you've got to re- you have to, in a marriage, with your kids in a marriage, in these key relationships, they will be get, they'll get recalibrated, if not every week, or if not every day, at least every week. You'll have to invest. You'll have to dialogue. You'll have to discuss. Where is it? And that's what helps build commitment. Too many of us let things go underground. And then they become toxic to the soil of our heart and our soul. So stay committed. Then take responsibility for your actions. Galatians 6, 4, and 5 says this. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. See, there comes a time in every relationship where we've got to focus on our own stuff and take responsibility for it. You cannot control your spouse's attitudes or actions. At some point, you've got to put the mask on and deal with you. See, the mask on, on an airplane when you're taxiing down, what do they always say? Before you place it on your child, take care of yourself. You make sure you're getting the oxygen so you are going to have the ability to quickly get it on your child. But see, so often we want to put the mask on our spouse. And we say, we're, going to, we're not going to change until they do. Or they have to change. I sure don't. And that's where we get into trouble. It's easy to get into the comparison trap. Oh, I sure wish they were like them. Or I sure wish my husband was like them or my wife was like them. And then what are we doing? We're really, we're blaming the other person. See, one of the reasons prayer becomes so crucial when you pray and you pray to change the other person, you know what's what I've found that usually happens? God kind of goes, well, Terry, I, I know that's kind of going on with her, but guess what? <laughs> you, you're kind of exacerbating the situation because your reactions are causing that. 
or your lack of love and kindness in this area or that area. You know what? She's kind of reflecting you. Oh. But that's what God does. And see, he, he wants to change your heart and your direction. And that's what repentance is. We have to be willing and ready to repent quite often in our marriages, don't we? What is repent? Always remember, repent is simply this. It's doing a 180. It is changing your mind to think, not like you want to think, but like God wants to think. That's all repentance is. It's not coming down to this altar and doing a boo-hoo time. It can be. But if you come down here and do a boo-hoo time and nothing changes and you haven't repented. That's what prayer is so powerful. It challenges me to say, oh, thanks, Lord. I know I'm the one that needs to change first. I love what Dr. Dennis Whateley, a Christian writer, said. He said, there's two primary choices in life. Write these down. To accept conditions as they exist or to accept responsibility for changing them. And that has to happen. Last thing, or the second to the last thing is, you've got to submit to godly counsel. You need to have an agreement early on. I tell people this in premarital counseling. Now, I'm going to start doing, I told this last couple of couples, I'm going to start doing more of my counseling on the back end after six months. <laughs> when the newness wears off, when the stuff starts bubbling to the surface and maybe starts hitting the fan. Make a determination in the, in, your, in the beginning of your marriage, or maybe you've been married for, a while, married for a while, make sure you do it now. Say, listen, honey, if we start going south, we are going to get help and get counseling. Because if you wait and don't plan in advance, guess what happens? Hubris, pride always comes in, and both of you want to say, they're right, they're wrong, they're this, they're that, and guess what? You just break down and no, nobody will go for counseling. Or if you do... There'll be two heel marks of one dragging the other spouse in. Oh, that works great. Proverbs twelve fifteen says this. Fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people will take. They'll seek out advice. See, the issue then, though, becomes not only that you will seek it out, but you're willing to submit to it. That's why now in counseling, I, give, I don't do a lot of counseling now as much, but I do some crisis stuff and I always give homework. Because if you don't do the homework, then don't call me. If you're not going to take the prescription and do it, then don't, don't waste our time. Proverbs 19.20 says this, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. We need to get past the issues that keep us from calling out for help when we need it. What are people going to think? Oh, I'm right, they're wrong, unless they change. You know what? That is going to lead you to do a nosedive south. When I was a youth pastor, my first month that I got into Lodi, there was a kid. He had just graduated from high school. He had just got his pilot's license. And he says, Terry, I want to take you for a little spin. And I'm thinking this kid is seven, six years, six years, five years younger than I am. And I'm going to get in a plane with him. And he just got his license. Well, I guess, okay, God, I'll do it. All for you. <laughs> So I get in this plane with this kid, and I hardly even knew him. We're flying around, and, and he does this, you know, the stall. Oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. Is this thing going to start up? Okay, God, I trust you. I didn't say all this, but thinking it. And then he says, hey, Terry, and if I remember correctly, it's called the Steep 720s. And what that was is, is he takes this plane, it's a little two-seater, and he goes, and I go, dude, are, are you going to be able to kind of get his back on a trajectory that is safe and good? Oh, yeah, don't worry about it. But on the way home, you'll probably need a little bag because you're going to lose your stomach. Okay, that, I can deal with that. But, but he was going around and around and around like this. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what if we lose control here? And he was all right. I'm here still on the way home. I needed a baggie. <laughs> Because that, 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 that vertigo thing is it was really bad. But listen, if you don't trust the pilot, not only will you get sick, but you will get out of control really quickly. And you've got to pursue and seek out counsel and not just think that you can leave it as it is. 
without getting some kind of help, not only from above, but sometimes practical advice here. Friends, that's why we have this thing called a dynamic marriage group. It is not only for hurting marriages. It is to help marriages get stronger. And I can't encourage you enough to be a part of it, if there's, especially if there's any chinks in your marriage, or if you just say, you know something, honey, I want to learn how to communicate better. I want to learn how to grow closer. I want to get more intimate. Or if you're, if you're, if you're on the line to get married, go through this class. We're going to use it as a major premarital counseling time. Because this is too big, friends. This is too important to not invest the greatest amount of time and energy and money that we can into it. And the last thing is this. Find your anchor in Christ. I wish I could say this is the ultimate answer. But too many of us are marred by sin and marked by the stuff of our background that we've never dealt with. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, With all your heart, you must trust the Lord, not your own judgment. Always let him lead you, and he will clear the road for you to follow. Don't ever think that you are wise enough. This will make you healthy, and you will feel strong. See, when you focus on your spouse to change or an expectation to be realized, you know how tiring that gets? how difficult that becomes. And then you begin to lose focus on the bigger picture. Friends, our call is to first trust in the Lord. Listen to this. Hear this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say trust in a man. It always says, don't put your trust in man. Put your trust in the Lord. It says, love people, but trust God. Too often we want to trust people. There's no person, profession, or possession that will ever fill the need of God. And when you go into a marriage, you have to understand that. That's why he brings us together to complete us. Have you ever heard of Billy Graham? How many of you late, not to raise your hand, but I bet you some of us look and go, I bet he'd really be a great husband. He's so humble. See, what we don't understand is when he was younger, he was... He was a high achiever, very ambitious to do everything for God. He was married for 64 years to his bride, Ruth. She died in June of 2007. This is some of the things that uh, come out in Time uh, Newsweek magazine three years ago. They were talking about how she journaled. See, sometimes we think all these people have these perfect marriages. No, they don't. These aren't perfect people. And Billy Graham's about as close as they can get, I believe. But listen to a couple of things that she wrote. First of all, their daughter, Anne uh, Graham Franklin, uh, she says, I remembered walking every morning, walking sleepily into her parents' bedroom to find her mother seated along, alone at her big flat-top desk, poring over uh, a number of Bibles, a number of Bibles, just reading. This is what uh, Ruth wrote in her journal. Mornings were a very familiar kind of chaos. Four full-blooded little grams, the young mother wrote in her journal. I feel this AM, it's gotten quite beyond me. They fight, they yell, they answer back. Breakfast is dreadful. Now they've gone off to school looking nice enough for once and with a good breakfast but with the scrappiest of family prayers. So now they're off. I'm in bed with my Bible thinking it through or rather trying to. She tells about their first child, Gigi, was born, guess when, while Billy was on the road. And in the years that followed, Ruth struggled with loneliness and depression because she was a young mother with too little help and too much to do. They were married in August of 1943. From the beginning, the marriage was what Billy called happily incompatible. (laughs) Full of tenderness and full of friction. Ruth was once asked by an interviewer whether as a Christian woman she'd ever considered divorce. Ruth's reply was, divorce, no. Murder, yes. (laughs) See, friends, that's the reality. We all have issues. 
doesn't matter how spiritual you are. And sometimes we forget that. That there has to be the dovetailing of spiritual and practical. It isn't either or. The anchor has to be Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it takes faith to make a marriage work. It doesn't just happen. And it has to be two people committed to going the same direction. Remember this. To be a better parent, you've got to be a better partner. To be a better partner, you've got to be a better person. And to be a better person, you have to be growing in Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes, I want you to take a couple of minutes there. I want you to evaluate your marriage. I don't want you to evaluate it if you're happy or not, per se. I want you to evaluate it if it's a holy marriage. What does holy mean? It means separated to God. Is your marriage moving toward God's ideal? Is your marriage not perfect, but becoming what God wants it to be? And the Bible does say, are you blessed, happy with the bride of your youth? For some of us today, you need to prepare in advance for marriage. Some of the things I've talked about today, these are things you should be writing down and using to get ready for your marriage if that's where God's leading you to be. Some of you may need to work on some of the character stuff. I'll tell you what I think the biggest issue in most marriages is, is we all bring this kind of baggage in, but very few of us will admit that we have it. We won't acknowledge that this is what we've brought into the marriage, but we'll try and point out what that person has brought in. And and maybe some of you today just need to go, wow, you know what? I got some stuff I've really never dealt with or never worked through with the Lord and with my spouse. Some of you may need to reestablish your anchor in Jesus Christ and say, I've tried to do it too much on my own and not enough with Christ, and I just need to invite him back in. Start to pray with my wife or my husband. Pray for them. Maybe you just need to refocus on your recommitment to one another and say, let's get some help. Maybe it's a dynamic marriage class. Maybe it's counseling. Whatever, but you get some help. Take a moment and say, Lord, I I, I want to evaluate me and this marriage today. And if you're single... Say, Lord, I, I, w- I want to pray for that person. If, if, and I'm not saying that you need to get married. I'm just saying that if you want to get married, begin to pray for that person. Say, Lord, you want to bring them to me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to do it your way. Let's take a moment to just pray and say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do today because of what we've talked about. Yeah, we shine, we shine. 